You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could open at the book of Romans. If you haven't, I'll be putting the verse up here in just a moment. We're doing a series. This is actually week four out of six weeks, and we're looking at the gospel. The gospel. The first week we looked at it, we defined what is the gospel, and we said the gospel ultimately is about Jesus. He died and he rose in exchange for us, but it's not something we add to our lives. It's something we add our lives to. And we looked at the gospel as the story right the way in the Bible from Genesis right the way through to Revelation. Second week, we looked at the fact we are saved by the gospel. Jesus Christ died for us so that our guilt and shame could be taken away. And actually, we don't have to do anything. We don't turn up and just try and you know, polish ourselves up and look better for God. We're saved because of what he has done for us. Last week, we then looked at we're changed by the gospel. And that actually, we're not meant to stay the way that we are. But, and, and it's not our behavior. What we understood is our heart is changed and our identity is changed. So rather, again, than thinking, oh, it's what I do, we can suddenly say that we have been changed by the gospel. This week... We're looking at growing in the gospel. How do we grow in the gospel? Stephen Covey, he was the American author and businessman, says the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Well, I guess as a church, we believe the gospel is the main thing. And so this whole thing is how do we keep the gospel central? Paul, when he wrote in Romans 1 verse 16, says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Paul wrote 13 out of 27 of the New Testament books. And what he says is, in all of this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We want to come and get some of that excitement. I'm going to pray and then we'll go through this. Oh, Father, we do. We, We come before you. The last thing we want to do this morning is just sit here and switch off, have our brains tickled. Actually, we want to be changed. We're asking that your Holy Spirit speaks to each one of us through these words. I pray for those that maybe never heard the gospel and they're just even the songs and think, wow, this is all so new. I pray for those that maybe they're, I don't know, they're 80 and they've heard the gospel week in, week out for 80 years. I pray that all of us will go away and just think, wow, Something about your gospel is challenging me, changing me, and stirring me. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thomas Chalmers, he was the leader of the Church of Scotland. It's a long quote. It goes on two slides. I would try and summarize. It says this. He said, the heart is so constituted that the only way to dispose of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new affection. It is only by receiving over and over the spirit of adoption that the heart brought under the mastery of this one great and predominant affection can be delivered from the tyranny of former desires. Thus, the more received is the doctrine of grace, the more it shall lead to godliness. So then, try every legitimate method of opening your hearts to his extravagant grace. I'm a primary school teacher by trade. So to me, I would say that's gospel in, sin out. 
This is really what we're talking about. This is what this whole quote was really about. What he was saying is, how do you get your life changed? He said, well, actually, if you could put in the gospel, then actually other things come out. How do we grow in the gospel? I'm going to do three things this morning. We're going to look at position to grow, motivated to grow, and fighting to grow. Position to, to grow in the gospel. Students, I know it's Student Sunday. I've got a son who's at university. There's something about the beginning of a term. Uh, maybe those that have been to university can, can identify with this. You feel like you've positioned yourself, hopefully, to learn. My son has got his loan approved. Do you know what I'm saying? That's it. Day one, he's 15,000 pounds in debt. <laughs> he's also got a fridge in his room ready to keep the beers cold. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, he's, he's also got the flat screen TV ready just to have a break in between all the work and that kind of stuff. You know, he's positioned himself, hopefully, to learn. Surely that's the whole thing of being a student, isn't it? Do we position ourselves to learn the gospel? Oh, wow. I mean, in all seriousness, I think, God, he's, he's taken a loan, he's moved out of home, he's moved in with people, you know, that he's getting to know, he's going to a course, my son, you know what I'm saying, it's suddenly new places. Why is that? Because hopefully he's positioning himself to learn. Are we like that about the gospel? Some of you would have heard of what's known as spiritual disciplines. Does this position us to grow? Things like Bible reading, prayer, worship, the Holy Spirit, the local church. The challenge I often find about this whole phrase, spiritual disciplines, is it seems a bit harsh because these are meant to be sort of a channel of God's grace to us and we can feel like, oh, do I really want to do it? Some years ago, I guess, I don't know if most boys are like this, I'd always had the dream of learning the drums. I don't know, there just seems something, doesn't there, really cool about, I mean, how on earth did Richard sing, play the guitar and drum this morning, you know what I'm saying? I just thought, oh, I'd love to drum. So Nikki, bless her, said to me, why don't you have a few drum lessons? So I had a few drum lessons, and I brought a drum kit. And um, I, was, um, I was not very good at all. It really, really poor. Why? Because I just didn't want to do the practice. I really wanted the glory. I used to be involved in a youth event, a national youth event, and we had a thousand teenagers in this one room. And lo and behold, they couldn't find the drummer, so they asked me to step in. This is my first ever public performance. I climbed up on the stage, you know what I'm saying? I sat there. I've had about four lessons by now, you know what I'm saying? There's a thousand people out there. Suddenly I'm, you know, and my wife is egging me on from the side. I don't need a lot of egging on. Boom, 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 like this. I'm totally out of time. The whole band stop. It's a youth event. We've got these cameras going on. We've got this big screen. We've got this whole screen, you know. I'm going like this on the drums. Stand up, cross my sticks, just because I thought that's what drummers do. Walked off in a blaze of glory. I've never drummed since. I've always told my kids, unless you can get more than a thousand, I won't perform. <laughs> the harsh reality is I have not positioned myself to be a drummer. I just don't want to put in the work. Let's be frank. You know, people, that you've got to go through this time and time again. Sometimes I wonder if as Christians, are we a bit like my, my aspirations to be a drummer? I'd love to be up there. I'd love it all to be going really well. But do I really want to keep doing these, was it paradiddles, if I remember correctly? I just got to keep doing that. Are we positioning ourselves to grow? 
So what about reading the Bible? Jesus himself was referred to as the Word of God. I, believe, I honestly believe Bible reading is essential for us. John Stott, he was a Christian leader and an Anglican cleric, says this, Christianity in its very essence is a religion of the Word of God. I believe it's a huge privilege in this church that we give away Bibles. They're at the back. And if you think, actually, English is not my first language, we'll get you one in any language you like. Just throw me down the challenge. Because we just think, oh, there's something wonderful about this is the Word of God. And if I'm going to position myself to grow in the gospel, why not? Now, you might struggle with it, but I'll be honest, this year I'm reading mine on an app. So it's Bible in one year. Every morning you get some, uh, some verses sent through to you. You get some thoughts. The downside, if I'm really honest, is you can end up looking at you know, BBC News or Facebook and all that. But the, the upside is you think every day it could be on the bus. You just think, how can I read the Word of God? King David, he wrote a lot of the book of Psalms. In Psalm 5 verse 3, he says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you. Jesus himself, we know in Mark 1, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I would encourage us as a church, if we're going to grow in the gospel, we've got to be those that get a hold of the Bible, the word of God. You know, it could be you get up first thing in the morning. It could be you, you take yourself out at lunchtime. It could be that you've got the app on your phone whilst you're on the bus. We've got to be those that just say, oh God, let me get into your word. Let your word get into me. If we're going to position ourselves to grow, we need to read the Bible. We need to give ourselves to prayer. Communication is the key to growing in any relationship. Communication. I'm, I'm quite a big external processor. When we first got married, I used to say to my wife all the time, what are you thinking? She said, like, why do you keep asking me that question well, I, I'm just a guy that likes to talk. Well, what are you thinking? What's going on inside? You see, there's something about it. If you're going to have a great relationship, you're going to communicate. And actually, that's the whole thing of prayer with us and God. If we're going to grow in this gospel, we're going to communicate with him and hear him speak to us. Prayer, just come as you are. Talk normally. You know, you, I, somebody once said to me, they, they just literally imagine God sat in a chair, and I'm not trying to limit God in any way, but rather than make up all this funny language, how would you talk to a friend? Oh, man alive. I do love these glorious mornings, don't you? Oh, God, I'm really worried about my kids. Oh, what about that student debt? You know what I'm saying? Whatever you'd be talking about, you could just talk to God like that. You want to make planned times to pray? And spontaneous times to pray. You've got to have a bit of time. Smith Wigglesworth, he was a British evangelist and a big faith healer, said this, I seldom pray for more than 30 minutes, but I never let 30 minutes go without praying. I thought, wow, what a great challenge. You know what I'm saying? He, he didn't say, actually, I, I'm going to, you know. Now, we are going to pray for an hour and a half. On, so Smith Wigglesworth might have struggled on Wednesday night. But actually, what he said is, throughout my day, it's not like I've suddenly, I've got to turn all religious and I've just got to sit there for three hours in the morning. What he's saying is throughout the day, pray. All kinds of prayers and requests. Ah, what about your job? What about your health? What about your family? What about your finances? You could pray about anything. John Newton, he was the English sailor. 
He was a slave trader who also wrote the song Amazing Grace. This is Old English. He says, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. We, you, we, this is the God we pray to. This is what the gospel is about. If we want to position ourselves for growth, we can come and pray to him. William Cooper, he was an English poet and hymn writer in the 18th century. He also said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. There's something mighty about people praying. I think, oh, do I really believe this? Some of us, you know, I'm not going to have a show of hands this morning, but you think, if you've been a Christian longer than, say, 10 years, do you still believe that prayer changes things? Have we just said, oh, I'll pray for you and never actually do it? Prayer changes things. Prayer is remarkable power. If we're positioning ourselves for growth in the gospel, let's give ourselves to prayer. How else do we grow? We grow through worship. I know that worship is a whole lifestyle. I know it's not just about Sunday morning, but I just want to challenge us. Are we those that, that come and get excited with God? I'm so thrilled by the musicians that we have in this church. They've still not asked me to drum yet, but after this morning, I might get an opportunity. I doubt it. <laughs> the reality is, though, I think it's just something wonderful. If we're going to grow in grace, worship helps us get our eyes upon him. I'd say this as, as lovingly as I possibly could. I know we've got several families visiting and friends today. If you're part of this church every week, get here for 10.30. Because there's something about, in fact, get here for 10.29. So that as soon as they strike the first chord, you just think, oh, I'm here to worship. If we're going to really grow in, in, in an understanding of the gospel, worship is key. It's quite foreign to a lot of us. Because it's no longer saying that we're the most important and we're bowing the knee before him. And I guess that's part of what the gospel means. Terry Virgo, who many would describe as the founder and father of New Frontiers, the movement of churches we belong to, says this. Fruitfulness is not about busyness and full diary, but about depth of relationship with Jesus. An overwhelming task requires overwhelming intimacy. Our encounter with God must be of such proportion that we are deeply affected. Our first relationship is with the Lord. I think, oh, if I want to really grow in this grasp of the gospel, oh, why wouldn't I worship him? It says in Psalm 84, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I think if we're really going to grow in our understanding of the gospel, I'd love us to be a people that genuinely worship him. William Wilberforce, who, who many would have heard because he was, the, he was the MP that got involved in the abolition of slavery. He said this, Blessed be to God for the day of rest and worship, wherein earthly occupations assume their true size. Worldly ambition is stunted. It's almost like I fixed my eyes upon God. And I would say, God, it's somebody like William Wilberforce. He made such a radical difference in his life. He, you'd think every day that he sat at that desk and you've seen the film, his health was going, but he was determined to work. But he said, actually, surely the best day is the day I fix my eyes upon God in worship because it makes me realize who I genuinely am. We grow through the Holy Spirit. 
We've, we've just finished a five-week series on this, so I'm not going to dwell on this point a lot, except to say that he helps us tell others. We can read about that in Acts 1 and verse 8. He helps us to obey, and we can read about that in Ezekiel 36 and verse 27. He helps us to know that we're even a Christian, and we can read about that in Romans 8 and verse 15. And it's funny, isn't it? Because sometimes we think, do I really know? Paul writes to the church, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. If we're going to grow in the gospel, a thirst for the Holy Spirit is vital. This is all under my first point. Growing through the local church. And you might say, oh, Pete, I knew you'd slip that one in. Great, I didn't disappoint you. You see, I believe that the local church provokes the other four. Actually, are we going to be people of the word? Are we going to be people of prayer? Are we going to be people of the Holy Spirit? Are we going to be those of worship? Well, I think actually the church. So I would, I would say this to the students. Throw your lot in with a local church. Throw your lot in. It's so easy to think, oh, it's my first year and I, I don't know, or maybe it's my final year and I've got pressures of placement, you know, getting degrees done. And Throw your lot in with a local church. The danger is all of us could find a reason not to. Oh, I've just got a new kid. I've just got a new job. My kids are just leaving home. I'm just about to retire. But I think this is so important if we really want to grow in the gospel. Paul I told you, wrote, uh, Romans says in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I think, God, if I'm really going to grow in the gospel, I'm going to love the church. Oh, I'll just take a moment and look around. Eh? I'm going to love the church. I genuinely love this place. I'm so grateful people serve in so many ways. I can't see Steve at the moment. He's probably serving. He's sat over here. He's here on set up this morning. He must get so frustrated because I love it so much. I'm always still here. And he keeps saying, Pete, don't come. I've got it. It's sorted. But I just, I just love being here, Steve. Yeah, I just want to hang around. I want to say hi to as many people as possible. I love the church. I think if we're going to grow in the gospel, we're going to love the church. Okay, then, my second point. Have we positioned ourselves? I didn't position myself well for the drums. How are you positioning yourself, really, for the gospel? Second point, how are you motivated? What motivates you to grow in the gospel? So again, I was thinking about students. I think, why would you take on all this debt? The school that my son left recently, they said, oh, if you do a three-year degree, expect £50,000 worth of debt. And I know the Americans in our midst will say, oh, that's nothing. You know what I'm saying? Debt, we can talk on a much larger scale. For most of us, that's still a big shock. 50,000 pounds. What would motivate you to do that? Some of you are sat there thinking, I didn't realize it was going to add up. In fact, my son's just doing a four-year degree, so I'm sat there thinking, but that's 67,000 pounds. What? Ouch. You know what I'm saying? What motivates you to do that? What motivates you? I guess for many, it's the job. I guess maybe it's the interest in the subject. Maybe it's your parents want to get you out of the house and it's the only way you could find somewhere else to live. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just trying to work. What, what motivates people to go? So then ask me, let me ask you the question, what motivates you to grow in the gospel? 
Are you motivated? We've been doing this series and we've been talking all about oh, this gospel, the gospel. What motivates you? I can suddenly talk about even those spiritual disciplines. What motivates you? I think the first thing, surely, is we'd, we'd love to be motivated by love. Because love turns duty into delight. And if we're not motivated by love, it just becomes duty, doesn't it? Every house is different. And guys, if, if, if I stick to you on this one, I'm really sorry. But my wife feels that guys should put out the rubbish every week. We've been married for 23 years. And it's funny, I learned this in about week one. And I'm still learning it 23 years later. You know, I'm saying she, I don't, she expects me to empty the bins, to put them all into the black sack, to make sure that on ours it's Tuesday morning, 7 o'clock, you know, I'm padding down beside the house at 10 to 7, making sure the rubbish is out. There you go. <laughs> oh dear, Mark's in trouble already. <laughs> now you could think, oh man, like, why am I doing this kind of stuff? I'm just not interested in doing this stuff. It's not my turn. I did it last Tuesday. Or you could honestly think, hey, I love my wife so much. What a privilege to do this. Now, that could seem trivial, but actually, I think love does turn a duty into a delight. Hey, of course I'd wash up for you. Why? Because I love you. Of course, you know, I would go off to the shop and buy this for you because I love you. Well, surely that motivates us for God. When, you, when we sing, and that's partly why we sing so much, you just think, oh, God, that you would do that for me? That you would send your own son to die for me? Ah, oh, such love. I mean, I found just even such love in the gospel. You know, I felt even this morning, I mean, wonderful words, wasn't it, that Anugra just brought. Ah, oh, there's this relationship. I was like a parent, you know, I sort of, but now, and you think, oh, such love. Why wouldn't I be motivated? Why are we motivated to go in the gospel? I think we're also motivated by good works. Oh, you might think that's a shocker. Martin Luther, who was the German priest in the Protestant Reformation, says we are saved by faith alone. We declare that publicly in this church all the time. You are saved by grace. Nothing you do. Although not by faith. That remains alone. And it's so interesting that, isn't it? Because sometimes we think, oh, well, if God loves me completely as I am, why would I do anything different? But Martin Luther was almost saying, actually, the very faith that saves you would be the faith that works out. Theologians, I guess, would call that saving faith and sanctifying faith, becoming more and more like Jesus. So it's almost like God has saved us, and then he's called us to do great things for him. I mean, what a privilege that would be. Paul writes to the church in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's almost like you've been saved and it's this free gift, but then he calls you in and it's almost like he says, great, now you're part of the family business. I've got things I'd love you to be involved in. Surely that motivates me. I am saved by grace, but I get to contribute to God's cause on earth. I have a, a fight to fight, a race to run, the Bible says. I'm like this farmer, this athlete. I'm striving for these crown. Wow. Why on earth wouldn't I want to grow in the gospel? I can be motivated by heavenly 
rewards. In Revelation 22, verse 12, it says, Look, I'm coming soon. We believe Jesus will return. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they've done. So why do I want to grow in the gospel? I don't know about you, I, I, one of the, the things that often motivated me is in the Bible when Jesus tells this story, and, and it's obviously they're called parables, and they've got a simple meaning for us. And one of them is when, you know, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And I've, I've so long that actually I would hear that from him. That one day, when I believe I'll get into heaven, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done for me, that then it says to me, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, that, surely that motivates, doesn't it? That motivates me to say, I, I want to know more about the gospel and how I can grow in it. God rewards me for getting involved in his cause. I mean, it seems too good to be true. If you want to look that up at home, I'd encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 3. That's another letter that Paul wrote, verse 11 to 15, which just talks about the foundation of grace. But then I wanted to finish on my, my third point. So I've done this. Are we positioned ourselves for growth? Are we motivated for growth? Will we fight to grow in the gospel? You see, there are so many things that get in the way. So again, I think of student life. What are the things that get in the way? First thing that comes to my mind, nothing personal, I hope my son doesn't ever listen to this, is Netflix. You know what I'm saying? You think, well, I'd love to study, but there's so many good programs to watch, aren't there? And once you start a series, I mean, you just want to finish it, don't you? It's almost like, oh, wouldn't it be great to really do it, but, you know, there's just a few distractions. It can almost feel like barriers to overcome. It reminds me when I was at school. When I was at school, um, I don't know if it's because of teacher strikes or something, we didn't really have big sports days, but they did a sports day, but it went on while the lessons were going on. So I thought, well, I'm just going to sign up because it gets me out of lessons, and I was none too bright at secondary school. And so um, I've always been fairly short as well. I just need to put that one in here. So the only thing that I could sign up for on one year on sports day was pole vault. <laughs> this is no word of a lie. I'd never pole vaulted in my life. But one in our house, we were Yellow House, it's called Grenville, they said, we need time to do pole vault. I said, well, I do pole vault. It's a day off lessons. And so literally, I turn up on sports day and they give me this pole vault. And, and the, the guy said to me, look, if you can't pole vault, just jump it. Just run up, drop the pole and jump over. You see? And I thought, well, it gets me a day off lessons. I'll try it. The first height for pole vault was one meter. The highest I'd ever jumped was 90 centimeters. I was in trouble, you know what I'm saying? I mean, literally, I thought, well, I'll give it the best I can. I go running up, I drop this, I failed three times. I did get a whole day off lessons, though. Some of us approach obstacles in a Christian life like that. We think, I'm never going to do it. It's higher than I've ever done. And even when I'm talking about the gospel, you think, well, I'd love to do it. But actually, I'm just, I'm just not built that way. You know, you might think, well, if I was six foot or something, if I had some skills, I could do it. And so often, we, we lose our fight because we look at the obstacles to growing in the gospel. What obstruction would I put down? I'd put one this, it's guilt. One of Satan's names is the accuser. He reminds you, day and night, you're not doing well. You, th you think you can do that? You could never do it. You can't achieve that. He will question you and get you down. 
And yet we read in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We, we've often talked about this as we've been doing this. It's called the great exchange. My guilt is given to Jesus. His rightness is given to me. But one of the obstructions we often have is I feel guilty. Even, you know, I talk about the app, Bible in one year on your phone. Some of you think, oh yeah, I started that. It's a bit like joining the gym in January, isn't it? I never kept it going beyond January. And so as soon as I said it, you said, oh, I feel guilty. When I came to church last week, I thought I'm going to read my Bible every day, and I've not. I feel guilty. And that can be one of those barriers that stops us. And yet we know in Romans 8 verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm aware that the Holy Spirit convicts, and I don't want to talk about that this morning. So I'm not saying that we won't get prodded, or you need to change. But there's no condemnation because of what Jesus Christ has done. What's another obstruction to the gospel? I think it's the temptation to sin. Being tempted is not a sin. We know that Jesus himself was tempted. But giving in is and, and again, sometimes if we, if we don't feel guilty because of all this, actually we feel, oh, I blew it. I knew I shouldn't have done that, and I did. And then suddenly you stop growing in the gospel. And yet again, we're aware that Paul writes to the church in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can endure it. Sometimes the danger is we've just got into a sin pattern. I wish I had a bit more time to talk about this, about not offering any part of yourself to sin, as it tells you in Romans 6 verse 13. I wish I could sort of say, watch your mind, watch your eyes. Because if we don't avoid sin, then we just feel so, I could never go for the gospel. What tips would I give on this whole temptation? I would say this. Make sure you're alert as a Christian. Now, that sounds bizarre, doesn't it? But I think so too many of us as Christians, we can almost sleepwalk through our day and through our week and through our year. And actually, we just need to wake ourselves up and think, come on, I need to be alert. I'm trying to connect to the students as much as I can today. I, I drove my son down to um, university and there was nobody else in the house. I took him out for lunch and then I ended up taking him out for dinner and then we ended up going out to the cinema. I knew I was going to miss him. I was trying to stretch the day as long as I could. I'm then driving back at night. It's like midnight. And I don't know if you find this. I'm along the M3 and when they've got the roadworks, I just find that really tiring. I think it's much safer to drive 80 rather than 50, but I won't go there on a sermon. So I'm doing 50 along this, and I notice that I start nodding. And I thought, oh, no. And then at one point, a car hit the horn behind me, because obviously I was going across the lanes. I'm sort of nodding away. And I think, oh, what can I possibly do? <laughs> I'd just like to say I've never drunk Red Bull in my life, so that wasn't a solution. So I'm winding down the window, and it wasn't working. So in the end, this is how sad I was, because I thought, I've had such a great day, and I'd like to get home and see my wife. I drove along the motorway, biting my finger. (laughs) (laughs) And the whole time that I was in pain, I stayed awake. Now my wife's going to worry next time I take my son to university. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And I kept wide awake until I got off the M25, and I was fine. Yeah, that is rather sad, isn't it? And I'm speaking this morning, you're listening. That's even sadder. 
The challenge was, I was so desperate to keep away. I thought, what am I going to do? I'd say, will you do that spiritually? Or would you just think, I've just slipped off and I've forgotten where I'm going for God? You know, it's almost like, so for some people, let's be honest, fasting on Wednesday, you think, I, I'm always grouchy by about three o'clock when I'm fasting. You know what I'm saying? If you want a pastoral visit, don't ask for it on Wednesday. But I sometimes think it's almost like me biting on my finger and saying, actually, God, I want to be alert because I want to hear you. I want to be alert because I want to know what you're going to say. And if that's what it takes, I'm going to stir myself. We have to learn how to run from sin. I mean, this could be a whole sermon in itself, but Joseph, I mean, the boss's wife comes on to him and it says that one day he goes into the house to attend his duty. This is in Genesis, first book of the Bible, Genesis 39. And none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. He's just a servant. This is the boss's wife. What an honor. He left his cloak and ran. Sometimes we've got to learn what it is to run from sin because actually we want to know more of the gospel. To flee. Sometimes we've just got to avoid places of temptation. So when I was at college, I was in a, a football team. And it's funny, in those days, you know, we'd get together and you'd watch a film. They never did me any good. I just thought, I'm, I love playing football with these guys. Wednesday afternoon, I think it's still free for sport. But I thought, I'm just not going to watch films with them. Because for me, I just thought, after it's, those images are burnt on my mind and it does me no good. Do we run? Do we avoid places of temptation? Do we stay busy for God? Oh, that's an interesting one, isn't it? But, but I thought you said that it's not what we do. It's not what we do. But I think sometimes when we get lazy for the gospel, we fall into trouble. David and Bathsheba. David was the king. He was meant to be out with the army. He was meant to be advancing. But instead, he stayed at home. When he stayed at home, he spots this beauty having a shower. If you don't know the story, he ends up bringing her into his house, has sex with her, has a kid with her. Her husband is fighting for him in the army. He ends up having him killed. Why? Because he hadn't kept himself busy for God. I think, what about us? Are we those that if we're going to grow? Are we going to be ruthless? Uh, two churches ago, I've worked for different churches. I, was in, I used to lead the kids' work. And uh, we used to, oh yeah, it was great fun out there. Um, it's all changed now, I'm a parent. But we used to just give handfuls of sweets out on a Sunday morning. In fact, we used to have a, a dustbin full of sweets. Some of you are already cringing now. And I used to say to the kids, put your hand in as many as you can grab. You can take them home. You know what I'm saying? I used to do it as well. It was a great morning. You know what I'm saying? But we used to have a saying, little sins grow into big sins and big sins kill. And the more I thought about it, I thought, that's really challenging, isn't it? Little sins grow into big sins, and big sins kill. The danger is that unless we chop things off when they're small, they grow, and they can radically impact us. If we really want to grow in the gospel, we need to stay accountable to others. That's not hanging your dirty washing out. It's not telling everybody what's going wrong in your life. But maybe a couple of people. A couple of people that mature, that will pray for you, that will encourage you. If we want to grow in the gospel, we need to say sorry to God and accept that he forgives us. I'd encourage us. I want us to be a church. I've run out of time. I'm going to stop. I want us to be a church. That this gospel is not something out there. It's something that we are growing in. That actually we, we, we're going to be radical about. 
I'm going to take one moment. I hope you'd let me indulge this. I am a father. I have three kids. My daughter, Lois, is here today. And I did sort of say I'd say something, but I probably will embarrass her, and I probably will now get in trouble. But I'm so proud of my daughter. She's 18. She's taken a gap year. She's off to university next year. I know she's going to Winchester. She's going to train to be a teacher. But this year, she's thinking, I want to take a gap year, and I'm going to serve God. And so tomorrow, she flies to Uganda for at least six months to work out there amongst the schools and all that kind of stuff. And I just think, wow, that's her growing in the gospel. You know what I'm saying? That's her almost taking a step out and thinking, oh, great. And I think, wow, Lois, I'm very proud of you. Very proud. But I'd love to think the rest of us, how will we give ourselves in the next year for God? Don't all leave me for Uganda. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, how do we have that attitude right here, right now? That actually, my, hey, maybe something I want to do, I'm going to defer for a while. Actually, this has been a place of discomfort. I, I've lost count of the amount of times I've driven Lois to the doctors for injections. And nowadays, you don't get them on the NHS. We're paying for her to take pain. Why is that? Because actually, she wants to grow in following God. And I think, oh, could I have that kind of heart? It's almost like, oh, well, actually, I know people here have generously supported her, and I thank you for that. Why is that? Because she's almost saying, I think, how can we do that for one another? Hey, what, what's the cost? How could we get behind you as you make? Now, for, for many of us, that's going to be here making an impact in healing. For some of us, it may be with church plant around the world. But I'd love us to have this heart that says, actually, I want the gospel to, I'm so growing in it that I'm going to radically follow him wherever he calls me to go.